0: everyone to episode nine of True Blue True Crime. My name's Sean and with me as always is my co-host Chloe. How are you?
1: Hello, good. Good. We um, shuffled things around this week and it's Friday today um, and I feel like there's a real end of the week vibe in the air. um, Fridays always feel different and I don't know about you but for me, no matter how old I get, Friday afternoons feel a bit exciting. It kind of feels like Finishing school, getting picked up, I used to go to dance class, so going to dancing and then getting some dim sims from the shop next door, knowing that you had a weekend ahead of you. Um, Friday always has that sneaky dim sim (laughs) vibe to them and I'm feeling it today.
0: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I'm not... Story about the dancing and the dim sims specifically, <laughs> but there's definitely those vibes kicking around today.
1: And I have to throw you under the bus before we even start the episode. But, but, sure, go for it. <laughs> but we were just setting up an audio clip for our Patreon episode, and it is what be- has become a common theme in this podcast. It features Darren Hinch. Um, and Sean knew all the words to his intro song on 3AW, <laughs> and to be honest, this is probably going to become some fan fiction any, any day now. I think we figured out he's been in almost 50% of our episodes. <laughs>
0: inadvertently. Well, yeah, i so say inadvertently. Somehow I've managed to weave him into four episodes and we're on to episode, what did I just say? None.
1: Nine. <laughs> I mean, a, a meteor of, icon, but. <laughs>
0: yeah, a couple of them were Patreon ones, but I feel like it's somewhat relevant to, well, particularly last week's episode, but the Patreon one today, definitely, which is kind of, leading on from that. But we will get to that in due course before we do all of that and talk about this week's episode, a few quick notes about the show. True Blue, True Crime is a weekly podcast covering Australian criminal cases. We release additional content to our Patreon supporters on a weekly to fortnightly basis.
1: You can support the show on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes on whatever app you are listening on, and it's super easy. You can use your Facebook profile to sign up and support the show with a simple click, like buying something off eBay with your PayPal account.
0: For $2 a month, you'll get exclusive Patreon content, access to Q&As, behind the scenes, blooper reels. We tease the next show in our Patreon episodes as well, and you'll get 10% off in our merch store when that's up and running. We understand that not everyone can get behind us on that front. That's cool. Thank you for listening to our regular weekly episodes. There's other way you can spread the love for us. Tell your friends and work colleagues about the show. You can join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram and share the podcast on social media too. It all helps.
1: And if you're up for it, please do give us a five-star rating and write us a review on iTunes or whatever app you use. Um, It really means a lot and it really helps us. And we read out the five-star reviews from iTunes at the end of each episode.
0: Today, we're taking our crime four-wheel drives out into the remote beach sand dunes of South Australia between Melbourne and Adelaide. Many of us here in Australia and abroad would have seen the horror movie Wolf Creek, released in 2005, starring John Jarrett as the psychopathic serial killer Mick Taylor. There was also a sequel and a spin-off TV series of the same name that aired on Stan. And while Wolf Creek was ambiguously marketed as being based on true events, it was by and large a work of fiction, particularly from a character point of view with writer Greg McLean being more inspired by the real-life cases of Ivan Milat in the 90s and that of Bradley Murdoch in 2001, as opposed to basing that story on a particular real-life case or series of events. And I think for most of us, being able to compartmentalise horror movies like this is uh, something we can pop away in our minds as being works of fiction – and enables us to just kind of watch them. Once they're done, lock them up and move on with our lives. Our minds mostly dismiss them as works of fiction, but the case we're talking about today shares many similarities with Wolf Creek, and the main difference being it's very, very real. And unlike the movie, these events actually happened and it makes things all the more disturbing and terrifying when compared with the movies that our brains so easily digest. And cast aside as fiction. Salt Creek, South Australia, is located within the Coorong National Park, about two hundred kilometres southeast of Adelaide. It's a gorgeous piece of coastland that attracts fishermen, campers and beachgoers alike. But it's also a very remote area, with rugged terrain. Running parallel to the pristine beach shoreline are thousands of undulating sand dunes, peppered with salt bushes and other dense, low-lying scrub. Visitors to Salt Creek will often stock up and replenish supplies at the local Salt Creek Roadhouse, owned and operated by a man named Adam Stewart. Stewart would see thousands of people over the years as they passed through his roadhouse, refuelling or purchasing food and drink, but one particular visitor would stand out in Stewart's mind forever when he returned to Salt Creek two years after his first trip. Stewart wasn't the only one who remembered this man's face. Some other locals did too. But one thing was for sure, After his most recent trip in February 2016, it was a face none of them would ever forget. Beatriz and Lena were backpacking through Australia, something many thousands of people do each and every year, taking in the relaxed culture of our country, exploring the remote outback, the dazzling coastlines and beaches, and immersing themselves in the vibrant culture our country has developed. This was the trip of a lifetime for the pair. They both left their respective homelands, Beatriz from Brazil and Lena from Germany.
1: Lena had taken a gap year from her studies and was keen to explore as much of Australia as she could and Beatrice was completing nursing studies here. She was also looking to travel and explore the country while completing these studies. The pair met through their travels as many backpackers do and they were both in Adelaide at the time. Lena was seeking her first adventure in the country after arriving from Germany and Beatrice was looking to do a trip as well. The pair really hit it off when they met, and they soon realised they both had the same dream, to see the Great Ocean Road. The
0: Great Ocean Road is a 243 kilometre, or 150 mile, stretch of road along the southeastern coast of Australia, between the Victorian cities of Torquay and Allensford. It winds through varying terrain along the coast, and has several prominent landmarks, including the Twelve Apostles, which are limestone stack formations, essentially, The road's an important tourist attraction in the region and it's a very beautiful spot.
1: So the pair made some rough plans to get from South Australia to Victoria but they needed an affordable ride to get there and that's the backpacking way. It's not about five-star hotels. Backpacking is boots on the ground, couch surfing, packing light, eating on the fly and hitching rides, the adventure of the whole thing.
0: And when we say hitching rides, generally in the modern day world, we're talking about organised pre-planned meetups with people who might be travelling a certain route anyway. So they can offer lifts and carpools to travellers, not your traditional hitchhiking that can be oh so dangerous and for which Australia has some uh, pretty notorious murders and serial killings for that matter.
1: And we're not talking about the 80s and 90s here. This is 2016, so very recent. It's not thumbs out on the highway. It's Facebook and Gumtree it's websites like that, etc. When it comes to networking and organizing these types of things these days, and this inspires safety in a few ways. One, I think the digital footprint that's left behind is much more traceable. And two, there's often other people involved in conversations and meetups and ride sharing, so safety in numbers.
0: In days gone by, the likes of Lena and Beatrice, had they been alone, might not have gone onto Gumtree to seek out a ride share with someone heading from South Australia to Victoria, but they'd met one another, which, as they said, gave uh, them some comfort and safety in numbers. So they did just that. They went onto Gumtree, they sought a ride from someone offering a lift, and they had a couple of good options. The first guy they contacted seemed really great, and they organised to travel with him, But he had some car troubles the day before they were set to take off, so he couldn't go as planned, which left Beatrice and Lena in the position of contacting their second preference for the ride, and this was a man named Roman Hines.
1: Hines seemed friendly enough. He was a bit older than the girls expected when they first saw him, and he was somewhat impatient in the correspondence, wondering if they were going to take him up on the lift or not in the days prior. But other than that, he was generally pleasant.
0: Heinz was 59 years old, and he was born in Germany and immigrated to Australia as a child with his family in 1959. Now, Heinz was generally in good health. He had a bit of a back problem in his younger days, uh, but he'd completed secondary school in the 70s. He went on to become an apprentice chef, and he worked as a roofer in the 80s. He'd been married twice, his first marriage uh, from, he had a son and daughter in that marriage and that ended after 12 years and he remarried in 1990, separating after 22 years and he had three more sons from that second marriage. So he'd been separated from his second wife there for a couple of years around this stage.
1: So on Tuesday the 9th of February 2016, Lena and Beatrice met Hines at a designated meeting spot in Adelaide to give them a lift to Melbourne where the girls would head off from there to explore the Great Ocean Road. We got the impression that they would be doing this trip to Melbourne over a couple of days, so they'd probably expected to camp somewhere for the night. They just weren't sure where yet. So the road trip is underway. Hines was friendly and stated that he was a fellow traveller too. He was mostly quiet, letting the girls chat and take some videos on their mobile phones, documenting the start of their exciting trip, and he seemed concerned with them having a good time interested in what they were doing and seemingly wanted them to enjoy themselves.
0: Around two hours into the drive, Hines pulled off the highway in the direction of a place called Salt Creek. He hadn't told the girls prior to this that they were going to this place exactly, but he explained it was a good fishing destination that he knew well, and it'd be a good place to camp for the night. So they drove to Salt Creek, it was a remote kind of area as we said earlier, very beautiful with a pristine beach and an abundance of sand dunes, and there was no one else around really, no one that the girls noticed anyway. They arrived at a spot called Tea Tree Crossing, and Hines proceeded to set up camp, and the girls followed suit. Lena asked Beatrice if she thought Hines was on the level, and Beatrice said, she thought he was a little strange but should be okay. They had each other and it'd just be for the one night and the following day they'd have their final leg of the road trip to Melbourne.
1: After the trio set up camp, Lena was quite weary from all her travels in recent times and decided to get some rest before they set off early the next day. There were differing reports on if she went to sleep in their tent or Heinz's four-wheel drive but that's just a minor detail. She went to sleep is all we really need to know. Hines and Beatrice stayed up to cook some food. A short time later, Heinz told Beatrice he'd spotted some kangaroo tracks leading into the sand dunes and asked her if she'd like to see them. Beatrice said sure, she'd love to. It was just a short walk, so she wandered into the dunes after Heinz to see the kangaroos.
0: They were a short distance away from the camp and it was very dark at this time, almost pitch black, nothing but the stars and the moon lighting the night sky, and they arrived at the spot that Heinz had indicated and they couldn't see any kangaroos. Beatrice then said she'd like to head back to camp, but Hines grabbed her by the arm. Beatrice was surprised at first, as if she thought he was joking, and she kind of laughed and told him to let her go. But then she quickly realised Hines wasn't joking. He grabbed her around the neck from behind and dragged her to the ground.
1: Hines then pulled out a huge knife and plunged it into the sand next to Beatrice's head, Then he pulled out some ropes, which Beatrice hadn't seen prior to this, and he attempted to bind her wrists and ankles together. But as Hines did this, Beatrice grabbed the ropes and threw them away into the dunes, which was a bold move.
0: This angered Hines, and he said to her that she could either make this easy, or he'd break her arm. Beatrice decided not to piss him off anymore at this point, and Hines assumed control of the situation. He sliced Beatrice's bikini bottoms and top off with his knife, leaving her naked in the sand, and he forced himself upon her, attempting to kiss and lick her. He tried to shove her bikini bottoms into her mouth, but Beatrice clenched her teeth to prevent this. Hines became enraged and began spitting on her and punching her. Beatrice tried to reason with Hines, talking to him about heading back to the camp, but he didn't like that. He told her to shut up and stop talking, and any time she spoke, he punched her.
1: So this is really turning into a horror movie type scenario here, like something we would have watched in our teens. You can only imagine the sheer terror of what this young woman was going through in this moment, being in a foreign country, no family around, no friends other than the person she had just met and was backpacking with, who was some distance away now and asleep for the night and she was bound by her wrists and ankles, naked in the sand dunes, in a very remote location, at the mercy of this lunatic.
0: But Beatrice thought quickly, and she started talking calmly to Hines again, attempting to convince him that she could give him what he wanted, but back at the camp, and she was uh, trying to get him on her side as well. So we sometimes see this tactic employed, right, Chloe, the young a lady backpacking from Holland in last week's episode, who was attacked by Adrian Bailey, employed a similar tactic. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I think it takes some real courage and quick thinking to attempt this. And this is what Beatrice did with Hines, and it worked at first.
1: As Hines was guiding her, still naked and bound, back towards the campsite, he was falling for it. But the closer they got to camp... The more Heinz seemed to go cold on the idea, until eventually he flicked like a switch and snapped again. And around this time Beatrice saw the hammer that Heinz had. So this case is armed to the teeth, ready to inflict some serious pain. You don't bring ropes, a hunting knife, a hammer for shits and giggles. This psycho wanted to do damage.
0: Beatrice must have been thinking she was going to die at this point. There's no way she couldn't have been so she made a last-ditch effort to save herself, being as close to the camp as she was going to get now. She yelled out Lena's name at the top of her lungs, and amazingly, through the crashing waves on the beach, the wind whipping through the sand dunes, Lena heard her friend's cries for help. But this didn't go down well with Hines. He threw Beatrice down into the sand and started punching her viciously once again.
1: Lena ran from the tent but had been asleep and was probably a little dazed and she took a few moments to get her bearings and find the direction in which she heard Beatrice's voice. She eventually ran through the dunes and found her friend lying naked in the sand with Heinz standing over her and attacking her. Lena yelled at him to leave her alone and let her go and must have been an unbelievable sight for her to see but pretty soon reality would set in for her. It was clear that her friend was probably moments away from a brutal attack and possibly the end of her life. But Lena didn't run, and I think this kind of moment would be a real test for your fight or flight instinct, and I'd wager that most people would have run in this situation, especially when considering the factors at play here.
0: Yeah, well, firstly, it was such a remote area, and while she would have had a slim chance of finding help... She could have probably roughed it in the scrub for a night and flagged someone down the next day, saving herself. Secondly, Lena was a small young woman, and while not physically incapable, Hines was a six foot six, hardened ex-trady, outback four wheel drive fisherman type. taking him on would be virtually a suicide mission, and that's why, like you said, I think most would run, but she doesn't. Lena runs at Hines and towards her friend, and tries to free her. And Hines says something along the lines of, I just wanted to try her, with respect to Beatrice. Uh, But while Laina shows incredible bravery in helping her friend, she's very much impacted by adrenaline at this point. Beatrice, fully aware of the danger in front of them, starts yelling at Laina to run away in an effort to save her, because Hines had his hammer at the ready,
1: Heinz starts chasing Lena away from Beatrice back towards the campsite. Lena is now thinking she'd get her phone and call for help, but Heinz wasn't having that. He'd chased her down, now completely shifting his target from Beatrice to Lena, and as she'd reached Heinz's four-wheel drive back at the campsite, he launched a brutal attack on Lena with a hammer he was carrying.
0: Heinz bludgeoned Lena over the head repeatedly with the hammer, four or five times, and she fought trying to get the hammer off him, but he was just too big and powerful for her, and eventually she was left with no choice but to run. At this point, with her head undoubtedly thundering and blood streaming down her face from the attack, Lena must have been wondering when her final moments were upon her, but she kept running, with a crazed, hammer-wielding Hines sprayed with the young backpacker's blood across his white t-shirt, lumbering after her through the sand dunes.
1: But despite her gaping head wounds from the hammer attack, Lana's too quick for the blundering Hines and she manages to get away from him, for a short period of time anyway. And her and Beatrice remarkably find each other again amongst the salt bushes and Lana removes Beatrice's bindings. So they were both together and free of all restraints, but Hines wasn't done. He'd gotten behind the wheel of his four-wheel drive now and was ploughing through the scrub, flying over the dunes in pursuit of the girls. Lena and Beatrice waste no time in running once again, but intelligently they decide to split up and run in different directions, which forced Hines to go after just one of them. Beatrice, being naked, vulnerable and frightened for her life, took off in the direction of the dunes, and she hid in some bushes.
0: Lena ran downhill and along the shoreline of the beach. Hines could see her along the flat of the sand, so he took off speeding after her. Once she knew she'd drawn Hines far enough away from Beatrice, Lena scurried back up into the dunes, presumably with the thought that it would be harder for Hines to navigate this kind of unsteady ground. And I think that was probably sound thinking. But Hines wasn't stopping, and he was thundering through the low-lying scrub after Lena as she weaved through the salt bushes trying to escape. But obviously, she's not going to be a match on foot, for a four-wheel drive in these conditions.
1: Hines caught her and rammed her with his steel bull bar. He did this four times, and Lena repeatedly crumbled and flew away metres into the sand. But she keeps getting back up. One time, Hines even ran over the top of Lena's body, but this wouldn't continue for long. As Hines persistently rammed the young woman, Lena could feel herself coming to the end of her physical tether.
0: So in a last-ditch attempt to save herself, Lena jumped onto the bonnet of the four-wheel drive, scaled the windscreen while holding onto the antenna, and perched herself on the roof rack on top of the vehicle. Heinz stopped and jumped out of the car, his hammer at the ready, and he began swearing at Lena to come down, and he started swinging the hammer at her from the ground, trying to hit her legs and injure her. But once again, Lena didn't give in here she started trying to kick Hines in the face from on top of the roof rack. And Chloe, you've got to think what she'd been through to this point. Multiple strikes to her head with a hammer, multiple rammings with a thick gauge steel bull bar at speed, not to mention the toll of having to run through the sand and scrub trying to escape from this madman. It's a miracle that she was still alive, let alone able to clamber onto the roof of the goddamn vehicle and throw kicks at this guy.
1: Heinz was beyond fuming by this point and he was yelling at her to get off the fucking roof over and over again, but she wouldn't and he couldn't get to her. The blood pouring out of Lena's head at this point was full on. It was dripping off her head all over the roof and down the side of the four-wheel drive. So Heinz did what any other crazed lunatic would do to an innocent female backpacker in this situation. He got back in his four-wheel drive and took off down the dunes onto the beach where he proceeded to accelerate at breakneck speed, swerving all over the place in an effort to throw Lena off the roof. This is absolutely terrifying stuff. Very much something out of Wolf Creek, Sean, like you said at the start.
0: Meanwhile, as we said before, Beatrice had been hiding in the bushes, scared, cold, without her clothes, thanks to Heinz ripping them off earlier, but around this time, she spotted another car coming along the beach. She waited for a few moments to make sure it wasn't Heinz's vehicle, but when she realised it wasn't, she ran from the bushes, screaming for help, and you gotta wonder what these guys thought in the uh, in the other car, seeing a young naked woman run from the bushes to flag them down. The four guys in this vehicle were referred to as the Muhammad's. I believe there was a father and son in this vehicle. The other guys, I'm not sure. They could very well have been friends or additional family members. But either way, after Beatrice got into the car and said that her and her friend had been attacked... The Muhammad's knew it was a very serious situation. By this time, another vehicle had pulled up behind the Muhammad's. It was a foursome of young fishermen from Melbourne. These guys were named Max Harrison, Jack Dowson, Nick Campbell, and Andre Saul.
1: These four went for help while Beatrice remained with the Muhammad's, and they called the guy who anyone in this area would call Adam Stewart, the owner of the Salt Creek Roadhouse. Now, most people would be thinking, why would you call the local roadhouse owner and not the police? But apparently the young fisherman had encountered three off-duty policemen who were fishing, but the off-duty police refused to help. So they went to Stuart, the local with unparalleled knowledge of the area. So it's understandable they'd think of him in a moment of panic like this. The boy said to Stuart something along the lines of, a girl's been raped on the beach. Some guys bashed and raped these two girls on the beach. Stuart rang the on-duty police immediately and the boys wanted to head to the roadhouse with Beatrice but she didn't want to leave her friend behind and she convinced the boys to go back and find Lena.
0: This was Beatrice's chance to save Lena after she'd saved her but unbeknownst to Beatrice at this time, Lena was in the middle of a horror movie and inches away from her untimely demise. Back down on the beach someplace... And Hines had had no luck trying to fling Lena off the roof rack. She'd held on for dear life, kilometre after kilometre, until Hines had grown so frustrated with the lack of outcome that he ended up pulling over and attempting to reason with Lena. Now, Hines said to her that it was ridiculous she was on the roof, to which Lena replied, why? Why is it ridiculous that I'm trying to escape from someone who's trying to kill me? Which is more than a fair point, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah. She was getting exhausted by this point. The physicality of what she'd endured to this point probably is more than most people could handle. Hines tried to convince her to come down, but injured, dazed and exhausted as she was, Lena said she'd only do so if he threw away his weapons. Hines didn't really have much bartering chips left at this point, so he did just that. Threw away the hammer and the knife into the sand dunes.
0: So Lena, hoping Hines was going to take her back to camp... Sensing he'd somewhat calmed down now, got back into the car with him. And while that seems crazy, what options did she really have at this point? Hines too, for that matter. It was a stalemate, and really, it had to come to an end with one of them giving an inch. And no doubt, the motivating factor for Lena to be that person was to get back to Beatrice and save her friend, because she didn't know what condition Beatrice was in at this point either. But when Laina got into Heinz's four-wheel drive, he once again flicked like a switch, like the psychopath he is, and he floored it. He drove like a madman across the beach and the dunes, and he tore through the campsite of the four young Melbourne fishermen we mentioned before.
1: These young blokes had returned to the area after seeking help, and one of them luckily spotted Laina flapping lifelessly out the window from sheer exhaustion. And this young man also noticed the blood down her face and in her hair. And these guys bravely got into their four wheel drives and took off after Hines and Lena. They eventually caught up to them, and these guys cornered Hines in the dunes. And
0: it's a chilling phone call. The kids on the phone just start going mental. That's like, we can see him, Adam. We can see the car. We can see we can see him. And sound on that voice coming through that phone. Those kids were were scared, rightly so. And um, and I'm like. "'Where's the girl? Can you see the girl?' "'No, no, we can only see him.'"
1: Lena used her last ounce of strength to get out of the four-wheel drive and head towards the boys. Hines yelled at her to get back in the car, but she didn't. She continued on towards the young fishermen and got in their car. Hines, frustrated that he didn't get to finish whatever he was planning to do with Lena, took off in his vehicle into the dunes.
0: In this time, Adam Stewart and some friends had made their way to the beach alongside the police, who'd enlist the local roadhouse owner to help in the search. As we said earlier, Stuart knew this area like no one else, so it was an obvious call to involve him in the search efforts. Now the hunt for Roman Hines began.
1: The group split and peeled off in different directions, and Lena and her fishermen rescuers would arrive to safety back at the beachhead, and her and Beatrice would be reunited, but they'd both have to be hospitalised. Lena, in particular, with the severity of her injuries. But the search parties were hot on Hines's trail, and it ended up being Adam Stewart who located him first. Hines was up on the hill when Stewart saw him, and he took off in his silver four wheel drive when he realised he'd been located. But he got hung up and bogged in some thick sand in the dunes.
0: Stewart, and I believe one or two of his passengers, pulled up a little way from Hines and contacted the police but they were unsure what Hines, this madman who'd bashed and attempted to rape these two girls, was going to do. So they're in their vehicle, Stuart and his mates, and Hines was in his, hands on the wheel, staring straight ahead. Stuart did not know what the guy was going to do, and if he was, uh, you know, he could have gotten out of the car and come at them with an axe, they didn't know if he had a firearm, but despite this, Stuart was ready, hands on the wheel, hands on the gear stick, foot on the accelerator, and he was ready to T-bone Hines if he got out of the car and made a move.
1: But in the end, it was a relief for him and everyone in the search party when the police arrived and apprehended Roman Hines. By this stage, Hines had expended a lot of energy trying to rape and murder these girls. He was knackered. he had really had the winds taken out of his sails. And as we said, Beatrice and Lena would go to hospital. Beatrice felt very guilty for inviting Lena on this trip from what she'd just been through. But Lena wasn't just a strong woman, she was caring and understanding. And she wasn't angry at Beatrice in the slightest for what had happened. After all, it wasn't her fault they'd crossed paths with a monster like Heinz.
0: The police would discover a library of sadistic and brutal pornography on Heinz's computer after his arrest – There was a video showing a woman wearing a mouth gag with her arms and legs bound. A second video showed two women on a bed, both of whom were gagged and had their arms bound with rope and tied behind their backs. The images were last accessed on the 7th of February 2016, two days before the offending. The Heinz's laptop computer contained 95 images of a pornographic nature 37 of those images showed women with a form of gag in their mouths and 34 with their arms or wrists tied behind their backs. In the period of three months before the offending, Heinz's computer had been used to conduct internet searches using terms similar to women being brutally raped. And it surfaced that Heinz had actually been found guilty of assault charges before this. Two charges, actually back in 2014.
1: Yeah, the first was an offence of indecent assault committed against someone who we'll refer to as Miss A on the 17th of September 2014. Hines met Miss A through Gumtree and arranged to give her a lift to Melbourne. Miss A stayed at Hines's home for several days before the planned departure. On the final day of her stay there, Hines indecently assaulted Miss A over the top of her clothing. He led her to the bedroom and pushed her onto the bed and when she screamed, he stopped. Miss A was able to leave Hines' home and reported the matter to police.
0: On the 10th of December 2014, Hines allegedly assaulted a woman who we'll refer to as Miss J, a young female backpacker who was travelling around Australia on a working holiday. He met Miss J through the Gumtree website as well. And this incident happened while Hines was on bail regarding allegations of sexual assault against another young female backpacker. And we'll call her Ms. V. Hines had met Ms. V on the internet as well, and a term of his bail agreement that uh, he wasn't to use social media or electronic media to arrange these sorts of things. So in December 2014, he met this Ms. J through Gumtree. And in doing so, he contravened that bail agreement for that offending on the 8th of July 2015, Hines was placed on a good behaviour bond, which recorded a conviction, but did not impose any further penalty.
1: And a short seven months later, Hines would attack Lena and Beatrice. And there would be reported 12 other women who had avoided Hines on Gumtree during this time.
0: A lady named Sylvia Clark would also come forward at this time as well and she'd file a complaint against Hines, which he'd later be charged with. She was an ex-partner of his, and she alleged that one time when she was asleep, she awoke to find Heinz on top of her, her left hand tied up, and him telling her to shut up before proceeding to bite her and pull her legs apart. In the end, she just let it happen as to not make things worse for herself, and afterwards, Heinz just rolled off her, didn't say a word, and left her tied up. She ended the relationship shortly after, but didn't go to the police about it at the time. She was just happy to avoid a fishing trip Hines was planning on taking her to a place called Salt Creek.
1: Sylvia thought that she wouldn't have returned from that trip had she gone. When she saw the news of the arrest and what had happened to the girls, Sylvia felt enormous guilt that if she'd actually said something at the time and gone forward to the police, this mightn't have happened to the girls. There was no doubt in her mind Hines was responsible for the allegations being put forward. I just thank God, and that's the first thing in my
0: mind, thank God that there was someone on the beach because there's no way in this world those girls would have got away otherwise. I have no doubt in my mind that
1: he would have killed them.
0: Hines would be charged with Sylvia's rape, but the judge didn't accept it as rape. And while he acknowledged it was a violent sexual encounter... The issue of consent must have played a part in the judge's verdict, and Hines wasn't found guilty of rape, a verdict that absolutely shattered Sylvia. And without knowing the details of how this verdict transpired, it's hard to imagine a guy like Hines getting the benefit of the doubt. But like I said, we don't have all the facts on that. Either way, his actions undoubtedly had a big emotional impact and took a toll on Sylvia. Soon after this, Hines would also be brought into the fold of allegations from convicted double child murderer, Dieter Fennig. Former schoolteacher Dieter Fennig, who was now aged 69, was charged with the murder of Louise Bell in 2013 after advanced DNA technology linked him to the 10-year-old's pyjama top, which was found on a neighbouring property.
1: Louise was abducted from her family home at Hackham West in Adelaide South in 1983 her body has never been found. Fenning was already serving a non-parole jail term for more than three decades for murdering South Australian boy Michael Black and abducting and raping another teenager when he was charged with L- Louise's murder. He lived close to Hackham West, where the Bell family resided.
0: But apparently Hines lived nearby at this time too. Not as close as Fennig, but pretty close. Apparently he was in Morfett Vale. Fennig's defense without directly pointing the finger at Hines alleged the possibility of him being the real killer of Louise Bell and they used the fact that there was apparently two other unidentified DNA profiles found on Louise's pajamas one of which had German ancestry which Hines also has and they used this as a grounds for an appeal for Fennig adding that at the time of Fennig's trial for murder Hines's matters were suppressed, but Fenning's legal team would eventually back down from this mudsling at Hines when they lodged the appeal, instead focusing on the argument that Fenning's DNA could have been transferred to the pyjama top through Fenning's daughter, Petra, who went to the same school as Louise.
1: Fenning would later lose his appeal and he'd have a heart attack, so a pair of wins there really. Case file actually recently covered the tragic tale of Louise Bell's murder. And that's definitely worth a listen if you're interested in this case. But Hines was tried and found guilty of six charges for the terrifying attacks on Beatrice and Lena, including indecent assault, aggravated kidnapping, and endangering life, but oddly, not attempted murder. He'd get a minimum 17 year sentence for this, which means he'll be 75 by the time he's eligible for parole.
0: Lena recovered from her injuries, as did Beatrice, and the pair have remained friends and visited one another since this harrowing ordeal.
1: Sadly, it appears that Adam Stewart has closed the Salt Creek Roadhouse in recent times. As of a couple of months ago, he had closed the roadhouse to protest against a lack of government investment in maintaining the local area, but his actions in this case won't be forgotten anytime soon, along with the Muhammad family and the Melbourne fishermen.
0: Here's a quick clip of Lena and Beatrice talking about their lasting impressions of Australia.
1: I still like Australia, definitely. I still love it. Uh, And yeah, this hasn't changed what I feel for Australia because I know it has nothing to do with Australia. It's just a bad man. I was unlucky that I met him and it has nothing to do with the country, really. I think that the way that everyone helped me there, that's what makes Australia so special, you know, because this could happen anywhere, but maybe people wouldn't have supported me as much as the Australians did with me.
0: Perhaps the most unsettling part of this whole story is something that we don't know to this very day. And that's the fear that Salt Creek may be holding more terrifying secrets beneath its surface. It would come out in the time after this attack that only a year or two beforehand, multiple witnesses had seen Roman Hines stocking up with supplies at the Salt Creek Roadhouse. And he had riding with him in the passenger's seat a young blonde-haired woman who people thought was most likely a backpacker. Two days later, Hines stopped at the roadhouse again on his way out of Salt Creek, but there was no sign of the young blonde woman. And this led many to wonder what secrets is Salt Creek hiding to this very day? Adam Stewart thinks the blonde woman is probably out there somewhere, buried beneath the sand.
1: I mean, this guy was obviously trying to gain ultimate power over these women. With a past pattern from his ex-partner and what was found on his computer, it's clear, I think, that he was a sexual predator. The thing that gets me about this case is that it was so opportunistic. These women were attacked simply because they crossed paths with this man, It didn't matter to him who they were or what their lives consisted of. For him, it was simply a woman that he could attack and assert dominance over and that was the end goal. He sussed out the easiest way to do that, to pretend to be a traveller or connect with these women to give them a lift and stick to it and as soon as the opportunity arose, he'd attack them. And it also makes me really mad. I'm mad that these women were attacked, obviously, and also that our country was, and I don't know if represented is the right word, but this sick person committed a crime and attacked people who were visiting here. It makes me want to apologise for so many things and show them that Australia isn't really like that. Uh, I know that they didn't think that. We played the clip just before from both women saying that they still uh, feel fondly about Australia, but You just never want people to come to a place that you live in and love and have the worst experience that anyone could possibly have.
0: This really was a real-life Wolf Creek scenario, but with a good ending. And these two girls were just so strong, Lena in particular. The courage and strength that she showed was simply incredible. And they've both remained so positive about what was such a harrowing and negative experience – I wish them both all the happiness in life and hope that they've never have to endure something like this ever again. But if it were any other of those 12 women on Gumtree who managed to avoid Hines that went on this trip, and not Beatrice and Lena, I think this story might have had a very different ending. and We may not even know about it yet, because as Adam Stewart said at the end there, Hines's handiwork mightn't have began or stopped with this attack. And on Hines, what a piece of shit this guy is. (laughs) I think it's very possible that we don't know and may never know the full depths of his depravity. I'm obviously happy with the sentence he got and that uh, he'll be getting pretty long in the tooth by the time he's eligible for parole. So we'll just see what transpires there. But, you know, he has kids as well. And they're also victims in this. Along with the girls, uh, we we know that Hines attacked and his ex-partner Sylvia as well. But the families of these offenders we often forget about and they have to live with the fact that their old man did at least this. So uh, spare a thought for them too. And that's about it from me.
1: So on that note, um, let's move on to our happy thoughts. So, um, Sean, you're um, first up here. What's Uh, your happy thought for this week?
0: My happy thought is that I had a cold and now I'm better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: That's barely a pass, but we'll we'll let it go.
0: (laughs) I think it's still, I thought I was completely better, but as we've recorded tonight, I've realized that I'm
1: not. (laughs) It's been a bit rough. It's been a bit rough. We'll probably get some reviews saying that you, the guy has a great voice or something. You think it sounds terrible. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, so my happy thought is another intolerance related happy thought. (laughs) Um, and although I am more than my inability to digest gluten, um, I found gluten-free Vegemite, so the one made by the proper people. like It's real Vegemite, but it's gluten-free. Oh, okay, right. Um, and I think it's been around for a while, but I bought it this week and it's so good. It's another thing that there's this veggie spread and I know that everyone's going to come at me saying that that's been around for ages, but it has nothing on the real deal. Yeah, Having I Vegemite, one. I posted it to my social media this week as well. I put Vegemite on toast so thick that it I saw hurts that. my mouth.
0: That and was
1: really thick. It made me so happy to be able to eat that <laughs> and kind of feel the pain. <laughs> so that's my happy thought for this week. <laughs> um, good, good. And just to finish off, don't forget that you can get in touch with us. If you want to email us with any suggestions or feedback or comments privately, you can on our email, which is truebluecrime at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is True Blue Crime dash Podcast, and our Instagram handle is True Blue Crime. And I think we might have a tease for our case next week, Sean.
0: Yeah, we got a really big case next week. <laughs> it's number ten.
1: We do. It's uh, a milestone.
0: It's a milestone. I think we're going to look to pick milestone type cases on the milestone type episodes. Yeah. So your tens, your twenties, your thirties, etc. But. We're not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to wait. But if you want to know, we're going to tell the Patreon people right now, right after this. So they will get it early. Super exciting. <laughs> on Patreon, we're doing uh, we're talking about the hot chocolate rapist this week. And he was a serial sexual predator who preyed on young women in the early to mid-90s. He had this really sickening M.O., where he'd uh, he'd prowl the streets in the early morning, he'd sort of smooth talk these young women who were leaving nightclubs and offer them a lift before lacing a complimentary hot beverage that he'd get from like 7 eleven or something mm. with uh, sedatives. So, very disgusting stuff, but we're going to let you know the big case that we're tackling next week on that episode. So, jump on across to Patreon.
1: Yes, no, join us on Patreon. And we are both so excited for our 10th episode next week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Bye.
0: Bye.